Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Welcome to The Things We Say. We're glad you're with us. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. And joining us in the studio this week is... Mike. Mike Myers. Me. Yes. <laughs> Him. Mike Myers, not the serial killer, not the comedian. No, well, he's Mike's funny. You have comedian status, though. And I've never killed anyone, so... That, that we know of. Yet. All right. So... Today, Nate uh, took us on an excursion, what was that, <laughs> Thursday? And yes. following up on our last podcast, there was an event that we had to go to. We had to go to Skyline Chili. Skyline Chili. Which this is, is like Star Wars for Nate. It's, the, it's an Ohio institution. That's debatable. No, so it is. If you listen back to like one of our first episodes <laughs> called Star Wars, it's where Nate is like super excited about Star Wars and loves it more than life itself. Well, that's a little and over the top. I had never watched it. And it's like, <laughs> to know me, you have to know Star Wars. Yes. And so I went and watched all the Star Wars movies and, and in much it was the, what it was. And in much the same way, with the same level of intensity, I told Sheldon he had to experience Skyline Chili. Now, to be fair, Sheldon seemed to be under the impression that this was like some kind of highbrow thing, even though I reiterated to him over and over again that it was dirty food. What was my phrase that I used repeatedly? I don't remember. I'm still mystified. Skyline chili looks gross. Changed my <laughs> mind. And for those of you that are not in the Cincinnati area or Northeast Ohio, wherever they've gone to by now. Yes. I think just they're just an Ohio thing. Skyline Chili on Google Maybe and Kentucky. then click images. Chicago. And tell me if that looks any good. It looks awful. It looks it looks terrible. And it doesn't matter if you're sitting right next to it. It still looks terrible. <laughs> it Pictures still looks you terrible. can't it looks the same. And when it shows up, <laughs> if you lift up the mound of <clears throat> shredded cheddar cheese that's on the top and take a peek at what's underneath, it looks like what my cat leaves on the porch <laughs> on top of some spaghetti. But it's so good. It's like so the good. meat in the chili is so fine. Like it's not chunky. Yeah. It's like so pureed it's, that you it's would like never, a paste. You would never, other than maybe the cheese, there's nothing at Skyline Chili that you would want to eat individually ever. If it's not all together, at least in what they call a three-way, which is pasta, <laughs> chili, Why? and cheese. Why? Because they called it that before it was a thing. I doubt that. It's 70 years old. Okay. It's old. <laughs> That's fair. It's been around a while. And then there's a five-way? There's a five-way. That's adding chili. I'm sorry. That's adding uh, beans and onions. Beans, onions, spaghetti, chili, and cheese. It, now, say, don't, sp don't say spaghetti because that confuses the issue. It's pasta. Spaghetti noodles. But it's not spaghetti as you would think of like... It's not marinara. Yeah, it's not... It's not traditional spaghetti and then chili on top of it. That would be gross. <laughs> it's, I, and I had been to Skyline, but I feel like it was like 20 years ago. That's probably true. 
I don't remember it. Yeah. So it was, it was also kind of like my first time. Yeah. And I wasn't mad about it. No. And, and, and Nate built this up <coughs> so big. Like, you have to do Skyline. So we piled a whole bunch of guys in a van. We went to this place. We sit down. And it's all like 2 and $5 for anything yeah. that you want. Yep. Like you can get a Coney dog for $2. And they literally bring it out instantly because they just have everything. It comes, it comes out vat. instantly. Yeah. And this goes back to my thing. You can have fast, good, and cheap. Yes. And this was cheap, and it was fast. And I think it was delicious. Nate thinks it was delicious. But you got to understand. I think it tasted good, but it feels like you when, also, you're, when you're eating it, it's like bad decisions have been made yes. to get me to this point. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> like, that's fair. I feel like if you ended up at Skyline Chili, there were some other events in the day that didn't go quite right. Unless you were like me and you grew up with it, I would agree with you. In my okay. case, it's like we will drive, man. My family will make it a thing, and we will go, and it is amazing. I've always said if there's one, all we need now in Worcester is a is a Chick Fil A and a Skyline Chili, and I will literally never leave town anymore. <laughs> Amazon, and I will stay here. I literally have nothing else that I need. You want Amazon here? No, or you I'm just saying Amazon, Amazon is okay. is the answer to all of the things. Sounds like a sad. Kind of sounds sad. Yeah, maybe Amazon we should coming here would be sad. I didn't say I wouldn't leave. I would just wouldn't have to. Oh, okay. There's there's a difference. There's a difference. I, five guys used to be on that list, but now we have a five guys, and I don't go there very often because now it's here. <coughs> but anyway. It's, it tastes a little bit like regret. Like, I'm going <laughs> to regret this. I it's kind of like Taco it. Bell. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's an equivalent It's, it's very similar food. to Taco Bell. Yeah. yeah. It's, Even it's the a, meat is kind of... Yeah. It's a lateral it's food movement from Taco Bell. the same viscosity. Absolutely. I'm a twice a day going to the bathroom guy <laughs> for number two. Yes. This was like 36 hours now, later till I fair, could finally go to the bathroom. You ate an odd thing that I have no experience with. Literally, all I do is the three-way and Coney Dogs. That's all I ever it get It was mac there. and cheese with the chili with yes. cheese on top. So, so you that. added a layer of <laughs> cheese that I don't know how right that was. I'm sure oh. it tasted good, but... Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of just the three way and the Coney dogs. That's how I'll usually go with those. So I mean, the text thread among the guys that went for the next forty eight hours was like, "Who's had success <laughs> pooping? Let's going to the bathroom? <laughs> yes. Who has Anybody successfully else? evacuated? Is everyone else as chilling? desperate as I am? <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't even want to go. It was like <laughs> removed the thought so far from my mind. Twenty four hours in, I'm like, I may never oh. poop again. <laughs> <sighs> oh man! Anyway, that's true. Oh jeez, I'm I'm back to normal. Here we are. Anyway, so that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here <laughs> at all. Nate's ultimate segue. We're gonna get you a T-shirt. That it is says, a perfect segue for pretty but much that's anything. That's not why we're here. <laughs> that's not why we're here. Okay, <laughs> why are we here? We wanted to talk a little bit about deconstructing faith and deconstructing uh, the the deconstruction <laughs> movement that's been happening when it in regards to church. Yeah, and faith. Um, there's been a couple notable Christians that have uh, either renounced the faith or claimed that they're walking away, um, that type of thing, and others who have had either like their marriages fall apart and that causes some tension, they leave their church and that type of thing. Yeah. But fairly prominent individuals going through this, and a lot of there's a lot of podcasts out there talking about it, but I wanted to sit down and just discuss it from our perspective, because 
we all grew up in the church and we're talking about the church from a place that we still love it yeah. and we still like we'll raise our families there we care about it and um but we've all had different levels of church hurt and i think at the bottom of a lot of what's going on here is probably church hurt but yeah if you guys think there's something else going on feel free to throw that in too because i think it's also a quest for honesty in the church and wanting so. wanting yeah. people to have yeah. integrity but that's my train of thought you guys can jump in with what you were thinking well i don't know if you guys plan this or not but i was listening to the past two podcasts about questions and i think those questions are what lead a lot of people right to deconstructing or it's just a good segue, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, <coughs> no, you're right. I mean, we didn't really plan it, but as we were talking about those questions, uh, the the questions against faith, those are some of the things people cite when they're walking out of right. faith. So, right. um, yeah. What did you have there? Well, Nate? I I just think it's interesting because I I find that a lot of I've had personal friends who have had this kind of deconstructive experience where they kind of just strip everything away and say, well, this was all just made up or it was all just walking away in some form or fashion. So how does that start when somebody says they're deconstructing their faith? What, what is usually the starting point? Where, where does it begin? I think a lot of times it starts with questions that they're afraid to ask questions that they feel like they're going to be ostracized for, or that they're going to be held at arm's length for, or that they're going to be, I guess in some ways punished or shamed for. Um, and so they just don't ask. And those questions then eat them alive and they go away from the church for one reason or another. They move or they go to school or they just decide to stop coming to the church. And I don't mean our church specifically, but stop participating and being a part of a body anywhere. And they just slowly kind of spiral down into this, I mean, I would say pit of despair, but I don't really want to make it. <laughs> Princess Bride reference here, but that's the closest thing I could think of where, where, uh, organized religion is concerned, particularly Christianity. Right. Um, they still tend to like all the good parts. They still want to talk about, uh, you know, um, giving to the poor. They still want to talk about treating people kindly. They still, so many of the things that Jesus talked about and that were significant about who he was as a person and what his ministry was, but then they just want to, they want to reject everything else out of hand. Um, even when their experience has not necessarily been a bad one. That's the one that's always kind of mystified me. I've had some people who have had very visceral, angry reactions to the church. And I've looked at them and I've said, like, this was not your experience. Like, you may have met people who this was their experience. And it is real. Like, people have horrible experiences in the church just like they do anywhere else. There are terrible people in the church just like there are terrible people anywhere else. It's just true. But when it's not somebody's personal experience and and they let the weight of other people's experiences and other people's opinions, valid though they may be, completely cancel out everything that's been good about the church, everything that's been good about the community that they have known, that they've grown up with, that they've been around all their lives, and just reject it out of hand. I'm like, what? How? I don't understand how that happens. That one confuses me. So for me, like, my, I'll, I'll be specific. My church hurt happened when I was volunteering as youth leader and worship leader, and we merged two churches together, and it did not end well. Mm. Like, after a while... I realized I didn't have the support of the pastors over me and I was getting a lot of flack from the people around me. And all of a sudden it wasn't just about like what I was doing or not doing. It was about who me and Jess were as 
people. people. Yeah. Like you are too this or you are not enough this. And, and just really like kind of felt like we were getting stabbed in the back. And you, it was weird how the gossip circle would go sometimes where you would say something and you knew you told one person and it would go all the way around and yeah. somebody else is saying it. And I remember one time I told Jess, don't tell anybody else about this thing. And I told it to just one person just to see when it would come up. And it came up in a meeting like, well, you said blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I'm like, actually, I know exactly who I told that to. And I looked at her and I'm like, so like there's just a number of things where it was like it had gotten really crazy and gotten out of hand to where I didn't know. I didn't know who I was in the church or what my identity would be in a church or where I fit because I felt like I wasn't enough for these people, you yeah. know? And, and for me, it was like, do I stay and fight for myself and say, yeah, I was right. And this is why I was right. And I was trying to do the right thing. And here was, here's what I was trying to do. And, uh, we took, uh, we got together with a counselor and we're just like, what should we do? And they're like, if you don't have the support of the leadership over you, you should probably tell them what's going on and then just resign and, and walk away. And I was like, I'm a committed guy. I'm a show up and stay up kind of guy. I, yeah. I'm not I'm not a guy that leaves things halfway through. And that was one of the hardest things to do. But out of my church hurt, I was discussing this with Jess too. Both of us felt, yes, the church hurt us and we did feel that pretty intensely, but we didn't feel like God hurt us. Mm -hmm. And we clung to God in those times, like, you're good, but we don't feel it from these people right now. And I think a lot of people can, can take church hurt and turn it around and say, God hurt me, or I don't like anything to do with church, or I don't think that faith is real and all that. It didn't. It actually made us draw closer to each other and closer to God through that experience. Yeah. And the church is actually what healed us. Like we came mm-hmm. to the Nazarene Church looking for a place to hide, looking for a place to heal for a while, and just to not be involved in leading anything. Yeah. And that this church was part of our healing journey. And without the church. I, it was both the source of the hurt in one sense and also the source of healing. Yeah. So, like, my challenge to somebody that's starting at the beginning and being like, I need to deconstruct my faith from the beginning. Why do I believe what I believe? And do I believe that God's good even when I'm seeing this or that mm-hmm. and the other thing? Like, if, it, if you're saying that the church hurt me, maybe it's time to try another church. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's time to get with some people that are real and that love you and that care about you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think deconstruct this whole deconstruction idea happens kind of in two camps. One, it's people being hurt. Um, and like stepping back and like, why have I put my faith in this entity, this organization for so long? And then I think like the camp that I, I, I don't know if I would say I like went through like a full, deconstruction, but I just kind of started evaluating different things because questions were raised. I would just have conversations with friends and they would just be questions about specific, like biblical, like eschatology. Yeah. Like, what do I believe? What have I been taught? And that's kind of where my process started. About the yeah. end of the world. About the end that. of the world. Or like, what is Genesis? Is it literal? Yeah. And those, just those types of questions that I just kind of assumed I don't know. Did I just you have kinda, answers for those? Like you thought you had answers yeah, yeah, and then yeah, realized yeah. you didn't? Exactly. And so I was like, maybe I should like 
step back and like do some more like I don't know reading obviously of the Bible but also some more like historical research yeah of like the authors and those types of things and but yeah I don't I thought I had answers and then yeah it's like what do you think about the rapture or do you think the rapture you know what is that or you know are we all gonna you know yeah the all different ways that the end of the world is gonna happen yeah. that was probably like the beginning like I don't know actually and so yeah that's kind of where I and then I started realizing a lot of things not that anything was specifically wrong with the way like things that I were was taught growing up but just like okay what do I believe about salvation? What do I believe about? Yeah. Because I want to, if somebody that's totally unbelieving outside of the church comes to me and like, asks me, like I can say, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a good enough answer. Right. But, but um, it's still not, but it's not, yeah. but it, because if people are looking at a very, a lot of people that have a lot of questions about the church that didn't grow up in the church, approach things very scientifically mm-hmm. and very, um, just knowledge based and facts are yeah. king, which right. I which I've always thought is funny because most of the criticism that I've heard from people who say that religion is just for people who are rejecting science, they'll accuse you of things like, "Oh, you're just having somebody else interpret to you, you know, what they think about the world or what they think about whatever," and you're just listening to that and taking it, or you're just reading this book, or you're just, and I'm like are you a molecular biologist? Like, do you, and it's the same thing. I mean, it's just a matter of what you're placing that faith in. And, and again, there are facts, there are hard things that are there that exist that we can see that we can quantify. Um, and I'm not denying that scientifically at all. And I've got, I don't think that the church and science are actually in conflict. Um, I, I no. think there's this assumption that they're always butting heads. And again, you and I experienced a lot of this and Sheldon, we've talked about it too, but mm-hmm. you know, we, we kind of were getting the tail end of that whole fundamentalist movement that was happening in the Nazarene church, mm-hmm. you know, that happened through the seventies and eighties, especially. And so we got a lot of things that aren't even Nazarene in their, in their approach and their, uh, dogmas, right. but we just heard it all the time. And it was, you know, it was what was the main, right. main diet of right. answers for yeah. us at the time. Yeah. And I think like <coughs> just a lot of like things like how you approach life, um, how you view sexuality, w- what, what you think about like alcohol consumption. Um, and those like, you know, there's a lot of different topics. Those are the two that come to my mind, but yeah. like yeah. just like evaluating, okay, what was I taught about this? Was it necessarily biblical or yeah. was it just like out of fear? My parents told me. Yeah. And to not do this thing. Sure. And now I need to navigate yeah, what, that, what looks that looks like. like. And yeah. I think that's, that's a, a big part of it was a big part of it for me. Like Josh Harris, all of a sudden saying he doesn't, as far as he knows, every measure he has of faith, he doesn't have faith anymore. Mm-hmm. And he held himself up as this wonderful standard of how to do dating and how to do relationships with the opposite sex and was right in dovetailed right in with purity culture and true love weights and um, everything that went around signing purity pledges and all of that stuff. Um, (laughs) What was I reading the other, when they first did that first purity pledge thing where they really pushed it, they wanted like 150,000 signatures was their goal. Yeah. And they got like way more than way more. Yeah. Like, and it ended up getting really broad appeal to where like, Almost everyone I knew had like signed one of these things, and 
the statistics were no different yeah. for people that had signed them than people that did it. I yeah. still have mine framed. Framed? <laughs> yeah. Okay, this, this is something, I, downstairs this is something that yeah. I've that I wanted to dive into a little bit is purity culture. But one of the funny things is I wanted to talk about some of the funny things Uh that grow out of it. Yeah. Like the purity ring kind of thing where it's like you get a ring from your parents and there's this whole thing and you wear it until your wedding ring. And some people even when they go through the ring ceremony at their wedding will take off their purity ring, put on the wedding band as a replacement thing. Yeah. And, Growing out of that, they're un- underlying that and kind of overtly coming out of that is the idea that this girl is her dad's until he's until he hands her to another man. Yes. And she's always some man's. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. ooh, that's really Muslim. That's not <laughs> that's very actually 2019. Islam. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's a different religion entirely. <laughs> right. And even the fundamentalist branch of that. Yeah, even the fundamental, like, and that, right, not all Muslims yes. are that way, but that, that idea in fundamentalist Christianity is yeah. the same. It's very akin to that. And I'm like, that. wow, I don't own my daughter. And I was just talking with my wife about this. I'm like, she's like, are you going to give Lena a purity ring or anything? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. Uh, if somebody wants want to? to give her a ring, like, they're going to have to get down on one knee and go through a whole thing. Like, <laughs> That's kind and of it's going to be a long time from now. Yes. It's going to be way <laughs> far away. <laughs> I'm not giving anybody a ring. I gave you a ring. Oh, my but goodness. Yeah, that that whole thing, I mean, it's obviously. It's very possessive. Yeah, and but at the same time, you know, it's like, you know, my, my dad did that with, with me and my brother, too. Like, we did that. We had we had purity rings. It wasn't just, just a, you know, something that my sister did or whatever. Like, I think they did that with all three of us. And made a big deal of that. Um, I actually lost my purity ring. <laughs> I was in the was parking lot. Correlation was, with <laughs> Well, I was in the parking lot of a, <laughs> it was the winter time. I was in Columbus. I was in the parking lot of Molly Woo's and I was kind of doing like a little jog to get in cause it was cold and I didn't want to wear my jacket in. It was a whole thing. Mm. And I hit my Kids. hand on a mirror of a car door and my automatic reaction was like, oh, dang it, and shook my hand. And it just literally flew off my finger because it was cold outside, bounced into the undercarriage of a car, and I never saw it again. It was just like magically gone. Uh, so, yeah, I lost mine. I think my brother still has Somebody else packets. picked up your purity. Yeah, picked up my purity. <laughs> Hallelujah. But um, Ooh, what's this? But that was, a, that was a whole thing. And I remember you know, doing whole retreats on that kind of thing in yep. youth group. I remember that being just a constant discussion. And one thing I will say, my parents were not big on the whole like shame level. Like for them, it wasn't about shame. It was about, it was about that thing of commitment, but there wasn't like this right, thing of like, you can say that <coughs> up until, up until you do not keep your purity pl- pledge. Right. The which, problem which is I then, did not, which I did not, which yeah. not a lot of people know. And well, I've, talk to a lot of people about what my testimony is so a lot, which I did not. Yeah. But even in that, it wasn't a sense of shame. It wasn't a sense of, I mean, it wasn't like they did a happy dance or anything either, but, but, but it, what, what would, what was your internal process during that whole thing? Oh, it was awful. Did you feel it like was awful. crushing amounts of shame? Oh my gosh. It? Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, it was awful. Um, and, and so it, what, but it wasn't, but, it wasn't that sense of like, it, honestly, I would say it came more externally than it did come from my parents. So like yeah. the idea that 
that everybody or God himself looking down at me and as if I was damaged goods now. That was a real thing for sure. And I had never been told that, but I acquired it over time for sure. But it's not... That's not the general attitude of God in the Bible towards people that sin. No. Right? No. But again, that specific one, it does have that... It does. It has that connection to it for whatever reason. Because so the Bible says that all other sins a man commits are outside of his body, and but this one yeah. he commits against his own body. And it has to do with your body being a temple and that type of thing. I think a more responsible way to look at purity culture is that it's an extension of just setting yourself apart. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's like... Okay, there are things that we don't do or things that we do do because we're a Christian. Yeah. You know, and and this is just one of them. And I think the problem is we made it like this is your pass fail. Like this is the pass fail of whether or not you're a Christian. Right. It's not there's so much emphasis. Yeah, right. Totally. It's it's like if you fail at this, it's huge. And it yeah. it it'll well, have far reaching effects for the rest of your life right. and all that. Well, and I think I think part of the thing I struggled with at the time was for me, like I was doing all the things right. I was in the church. I was active in youth. I was I was praying. I was reading my Bible. I was doing all the things, and this thing blindsided me. Right. And it was this thing like I just could not like I couldn't I couldn't get loose of it. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what happened. I mean, yeah. I knew I, I at at the time the the girl I was dating at the time was getting ready to head off to college, and my parents actually took us out and were like, hey, we really think you guys should break up. Because she's going to college, you're going to be stuck here. This will just cause problems. And I knew then, and I would say, I would say for me, it wasn't, it wasn't an issue of sin because my parents told me to do something and I refused or recommended. But I knew, like, Holy Spirit very much told me, yes, you need to do this. And I was like, no. And then all of this other stuff happened uh, leading out of that. And so for me, I think it was more that idea of, like, the knowing that that moment happened knowing that way back there and God. that I rebelled. And then it was just this. I think that's more healthy to, <coughs> to have the emphasis there rather than like this part of my life is bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my yeah. human sexuality itself is bad. Totally. Right? You know, and that's like my story is that I did, I ended up doing it the right way. Like yeah. quote unquote, the right way. Like I saved myself for marriage and all of that. Yeah. But because I was because of reading all this stuff, like I kissed dating goodbye. I bought that whole thing hook, line, and sinker. My parents gave it to me. I read it. We like they basically were like, This is something you really need to pay attention to. And I internalized all of that. Yeah. And it put a lot of pressure on all of my dating relationships because I'm like, <laughs> each one of these is headed for marriage. Yeah. And I'm like <laughs> Which is problematic. Yeah, it's really problematic. In, in yeah. several so ways. That, so that I I, I was way overcommitted in the relationship from the beginning. Yeah. And I probably said and did random crap that looked ridiculous to my first couple girlfriends. And first I date, feel, I love you. Exactly. <laughs> like all kinds of bull crap. How many like kids that. are we going to have? Exactly. <laughs> like, and so I wasn't even being myself. Like, that's not me. Yeah. I'm, and <laughs> if I were not in a relationship, I'd be like, whatever, having a great time, you know, just being goofy and having fun. And then I'm in a relationship, and I'm, like, ultra serious. Yeah. And I'm, like, yeah. like Jess, the reason we worked out is because she is, like, she saw that goofy side of me and knew that that's who I was before we started dating. 
And then she's like, oh, he can be serious. But a lot of that was because I was, I was like, okay, I need to take this seriously. I'm in a relationship, you yeah. know? Right. And it's like, I don't know. I wonder what dating for me would have been like if I would have felt the freedom to just be me yeah. and be like, okay. And also not have the pressure of the one. Like when we talked about the one, the yeah. magical one person for every one, like your soulmate is out there somewhere. Do you, the amount of pressure that having a purity culture mindset mm -hmm. where you can only be dating if it's headed for marriage and then also have the one on top where if you don't date Pick and the marry right the right one, you're done. Yeah. Like, I'll never forget one of my youth pastors saying, <laughs> talking about, this issue of purity culture and saying, I believe that essentially there's a perfect mat, there's a perfect match for you, but then there's also a permissive match in terms of like, and basically saying, you know, I, I think you can miss the perfect match and, but God will still bless the, the one that, you know, his permissive will allowed you to do. And I'm like, I remember being <laughs> terrified that of that. Your exactly. I remember just having this like, Gosh, I can't screw this up. You're just okay. Yeah, you're just okay. You'll yeah. work. <laughs> I guess you'll do. You're, you're not my, the one, you're but... You're my dude. consolation prize. That's that's horrifying. Isn't that, isn't that a Jim Gaffigan go, joke where he said, hey, you have a trophy wife, but it clearly isn't first place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's Gaffigan. That sounds like him. Oh, <laughs> but wow. yeah, just this this whole mystique that we've cre that we created and I don't think it's as intense as it once was but there are still very much echoes of this still going on in the church and I think this is one of those things that people have probably even walked away from the faith over because they've had a, a, a an issue of sexual failure or they've had an issue of um even a marriage falling apart or whatever and they literally think they're completely damaged beyond repair that there's no redemption for them because of this and some people are still reinforcing that idea, um, right. which blows my mind. Well, I've read I've read a few articles about how the purity culture has damaged marriages because there's basically, and you hear this like in like youth group all the time. Like, and I'm not putting youth pastors. Yeah, like, um, no, go for it. But You're it's good. like you know, like you like no sex no sex but it's awesome like and i get to do it with my hot wife yeah and yeah, like smoking hot wife yeah, and, uh, you know and, and it's just the best thing ever yeah and they put this expectation like it's the best thing ever and then you you wait and you wait and you wait till marriage and then like it's not like it's not like your youth pastor said or how hollywood right. has yeah. depicted it and then like you just assume that there's something wrong with you right like, from a man's perspective you're not like pleasing your wife or vice versa, like yeah, you're not yeah. you're not good enough. We and talk, so then a, there's we talk like, a lot about sex, but we don't talk about the fact that sex is work. Yeah, like it is, and it's not going to be great the first time you do it. You're not going to be some sort of pro at it. No, right. And it's like, yeah, I, and what was difficult for for like okay, so you're supposed to save yourself for marriage and there's such intensity around that and all that. And then you do get married and you're just supposed to flip a switch yeah, and be like, all of a sudden okay, this permission. was bad, this was bad. We right. guard ourselves, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And now it's good. And it's like, 
uh, how yeah. do I, how do I navigate this? You know, and it's, it's a whole new mindset that yeah. you have to navigate and work out between yourselves because the other person that you're with is a real live living person that's working through their own stuff. And what I found out after marriage is like, Hey, it's not just about my stuff or my needs or even how yeah. I process everything. Both of us have to be in sync with this stuff. And right. she's got her own processes and everything that she's yeah. dealing with. And like, it is a, it is great. And it's about coming together and unifying the two of you, but it is still, there's still such a process behind both of us and what, what you're thinking, what you're getting out of being married together and all of that yeah. that goes into it. You know, and, and it's not easy. It's not simple. And, and it's like, it, it should be an extension and outgrowth of the rest of, of the relationship. Yeah. But because there's so much pressure on it, just like I had a lot of pressure on dating, now all of a sudden there's a lot of pressure here. Right. And unless you're very careful about being respectful and kind and saying, hey, like no pressure and we're not, you know, just removing all of that, unless you're intentional about that, if you were to ratchet up that thing and just be like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show you that yeah. kind of, like, that's ridiculous. Right. Well, you can really do I, some damage. I think this is one of the things that, and, and issues of, of things like, um, homosexuality or promiscuity or different things that we, we, we even talk about related to sexuality in the church. One of the things that gets missed, and, and I've actually wanted to maybe do some writing about this. I'm not saying I do a curriculum or whatever on this, but something is the fact that as fallen people, we're all sexually broken, period. Right. It doesn't matter if if you your proclivity is to being really promiscuous. It doesn't matter if your proclivity is to be monogamous. It doesn't matter if your proclivity is homosexuality. It doesn't matter what distortion of sexuality you have in your life. Everybody, even the person who saves themselves for marriage, and that's the first and only place they ever have a sexual encounter, they are still sexually broken. And it takes a restorative process that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit to fix that, period. Yep. And we miss that, and we forget mm -hmm. to talk about that, and we forget to talk about this just being one more thing. It's not elevated. It's just one more thing that has been damaged by the fall that, that has to be redeemed. And it can be. Yeah. It can be. Like, <laughs> it does, it, it takes prayer, it takes connection with God, and it can be redeemed, you know? Yeah. All of that stuff, God does have an end goal in mind, mm -hmm. but... Do you have something? No. Uh, you leaned <laughs> up towards your mic I, like you were going to say something. I think that is one of the things, though. I, I had, and Kayla very much had this experience, too, um, with her with her mom especially. My parents were very, very open with us. I mean, if we had questions, they would talk about it. We would. We just always had the ability. Mm -hmm. But then there was always that sense if something was happening... You didn't want to talk about it because you didn't want to disappoint. You didn't want to. You <laughs> yeah. didn't want to have. You didn't want to. You want to look at your parents and have that conversation. Right. They were always. They were from their end. They were always very open about it. And I know I could have come to my parents and told them anything, and they would have been supportive and supportive and loving and, and walked me through it because that's literally what they did with everything in my life. This one was just so difficult. Yeah. And um, Kayla's experience, I would say, was even more so because she was. She didn't care. She would ask questions. She would talk about anything and everything without even, I mean, that's just how she is. She, she says all the things. Um, so I had a very, very good environment, a prime environment for this thing not to happen, for this to yeah. not be a struggle for me. And it was, Yeah. and it really was. And so 
Um, it is it is just one of those things that I think it is so easy for your mind to get twisted on that. From we had, we had talked about this before about how some people that's their only boundary is like, did I cross a sexual boundary in my relationship? But yeah. people don't realize you can overcommit yourself emotionally, yeah, way past where you are physically or where you know where you are. So when when by the time I was dating Jess, I actually had some decent lines, which really helped in my mind, where it was like, okay, physically, spiritually, emotionally, we shouldn't be going past where our commitment level is. Yeah. And that, that really helped. Like, okay, my dating commitment is that either one of us can walk away from this at any time. So I should be able to walk away from whatever we do or however far we go, should be able to walk away and not regret yeah. what has happened here. Yeah. You know, and... And so for us, we had a physical line and we had an emotional line. And the emotional line was, I don't tell you I love you. Mm. I just, I'm not going to do it until I can back that up and right. like give you some type of, some type of commitment. There. Right. And, and like, there was also a spiritual element because I saw a number of my friends, they'd be in a relationship with a girl and that was their path to God. The only time they prayed, the only time they read their Bible, yeah. the only time they went to church <laughs> was because of this girl. And as soon as she was gone... God was gone. Unless and they I'm were like, praying for a while to get her back. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And then so I was like, okay, we're not studying the Bible together. I don't need to look spiritual in front of you and you need to have your own relationship with God. Yeah. And make sure your relationship with God is great. Like you don't need me to do that. Yeah. You know, and so then once we were engaged and and it was more like, okay, we can study the Bible together, we can pray together, that type of thing. I, I told her when I asked her to marry me, I told her I loved her first. And so she knew what was coming. And that was, was coming. that was really Uh-oh. cool. So like that that emotional boundary was crossed. And so I was about to up the commitment level too. Yeah. Like, okay. But it it was it, and it was one of those things where finally we had some healthy boundaries at all levels that kind of you can only date so long without saying I love you. You can only date so long and go so far without crossing certain physical boundaries yeah. and all that. So, like, if you have some of those in place at the beginning, it, it does help. You know, just don't put so much pressure yeah. on right. yourself to, to that this is the only thing. Yeah. You know, it's a relationship. There's a lot of levels to this. This is not the only part of the relationship. Yeah. yeah. But then... To have a guy like Josh Harris hold himself up as the pinnacle and the example of all of this, and it was the idea that once I get married, everything is going to be better. Because I did it right. Because I did it right. It's going to be better. (laughs) And it's like, no, it wasn't. Right. And it's the same thing like, yeah, sex is just going to be great when you get married. Well, for some people, it's that's not a thing. Yeah. Like, you can't just promise everybody, if you save yourself for marriage, the sex is so much better. That's not... You don't know who they're going to marry. You don't know how this works out for them. Right. You don't know if they can or can't have kids. Yeah. Like, why are you proclaiming all of right. this? And so I do. I think I think even in the whole de- deconstruction thing, I think this has been a very damaging thing for people. Sure. Because they get out there in the real world, and what they've been promised... And what they've been expecting and what has been held up as the ideal, they're like, okay, this isn't, this is not it. Like what I'm experiencing. And it can lead to unhappiness in marriage. It can lead to trying to find that happiness outside of your marriage because you're assuming you did something wrong because, well, this must be God's second best for me. I got to go find the right one. (laughs) Like, I mean, I I know. I mean, that's, it's a, but it's true. I think that that's so often, even if you never actually 
leave a spouse, you can actually forsake them in a different way right? and, and never, you know, resent them or do whatever it may be. And so I think there are a lot of people who this, this is kind of like that, that linchpin issue that, that can start them in a direction of, of deconstruction to the point of walking away. Mike, was the questions regarding alcohol part of your deconstruction too? Or did it play into it? You had mentioned that too. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I don't, well, my history with alcohol is just a little different. That's okay. <laughs> I won't put you down on it. Um, you had but, just mentioned it. I didn't know if you wanted to go there or not, but. I mean, in a certain, in a certain manner, I guess. Um, and I, but I think, I think looking at other people right. and seeing them like, um, you know, basically, you know, I didn't, alcohol didn't touch my lips until I was 21 or, you know, past 21 Yeah, because all of these weird myths and For me, it was like 27, so. stigmas were in my mind. Like, um, I don't know. It was just, it was just a completely bizarre, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I had a lot of those same things. That's why I asked you about it, where it was like weird stigmas and myths surrounding alcohol were definitely a thing because I don't think we grew up in an age before the Internet. Like yeah. mm-hmm. when we were in junior high, you were told what you were told by your church, by your parents. Plugged in magazine. Teachers. Plugged in magazine. <laughs> yeah. Breakaway. <laughs> and it was like one of those things where. I don't think information traveled quite as well. And then I went, I went into a public high school, and we're doing like driver's ed. Yeah. And they're breaking down how many drinks till you till you, this limit and this limit and this limit. And I'm like, wait, how many drinks in an hour? And I started like in my mind, I'm like, so you don't get drunk after one beer? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, one shot equals one glass of wine equals one beer. And I'm like, these are quantities that I've never... In- What's a shot? <laughs> so, like, I'm in ninth... No, I would have been in 10th grade by then and still had n- literally yeah. oh, I- no idea. All of, all of my knowledge of alcohol came from Westerns. And, from yeah. bar scenes and, and Westerns. And that was so, the extent of my even knowledge. Even so, watching Hollywood movies and all of this, you still could be left with the impression that I had by the time I got yeah. to college. Like, even knowing some of that stuff... From driver's ed and and just being around different people, I'm like, I still was under the impression that if you drink, you're getting drunk. (coughs) And I had never encountered anyone that interacted with alcohol in any manner that wasn't that. Yeah. That was, that did it in a healthy, yeah. Like, yeah. You can just enjoy a good libation. Because people either did or they didn't. (laughs) Right. You can have what John Wesley calls a simple beer. Yeah. And, be done. Like right. he, he like, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other thing where Wesley enjoyed a simple beer, but you can you look know, it up. I, go ahead, he Mike. wrote a lot about hops and all that too, oh, but I anyway. love hops. I really <laughs> he didn't love hops. I do. But, um, and, and actually Arthur Guinness yeah. took a lot from John Wesley and started Sunday schools in, in Ireland because of the preaching of Wesley and all of that. Yeah. And gave, gave a lot to his ministry. And that is the Guinness Guinness. Yeah, that is the Arthur Guinness and the John Wesley of Methodism. Yes. So yes. And yes. interesting, aside. Yeah, I, I, I was just thinking, like, I think my personal experience with my parents um, and, like, grandparents, like, there had been, like, alcohol abuse. And so basically, right. like... Once they they became saved in the 80s, my parents anyways, 
um, you know, basically. And then they, I, I, don't, I don't even know if it was necessarily the Nazarene church. Mm. It was just, um, it was really just like, you don't even really talk about it. It's just, it's like this, I don't even remember like even like talking about alcohol yeah. it was as just a forbidden. kid. Yeah, it just it wasn't even like, a topic. Like, well, unless like yeah, and, this, and this was the weird. It was the same thing in the church I grew up in, in a totally different denomination. <laughs> right. So this, but this is the weird thing for me because I've my 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 view, and we've talked about this. My view on on alcohol consumption has has progressed, but I still struggle with it. Right. And I struggle with it from the perspective of like, no, I can't point to a biblical thing and say we're preaching something biblical by preaching abstinence from alcohol because you just can't make that argument. You can't support it. If Jesus did it, you can't make the argument that it's sin. You just can't. Nope. It was less alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> it was less alcoholic. Uh, um, now, there are there are some semi-legitimate... It's wine skins. Right. There are some, some People semi... People were still drunk at the wedding that's that right. he brought the there, wine There to. are some semi-legitimate arguments that people can make that right. because of how wine was consumed then. Because it was like a it was like a three to one mixture with water, but Jesus but it was, was more called s- a drunkard. Exactly. So exactly. So when he they was say, not. Now be clear. He wasn't. He was not. But he was, but he was called, called that. And and so when you when you call just I just want to put this out yeah. there that when you go and call another Christian who has a different view on alcohol than you and you call them a drunkard. You don't know their life. <laughs> and unless you have seen them drunk, you have no reason to be able to say yeah. that because Jesus was called a drunkard. Right. And it, it says it says that John the Baptist came not eating and not drinking, and you looked at him and you said, he is a demon. And Jesus came eating and drinking with sinners, and you said, he's a glutton and a drunkard. <laughs> Neither one was either one. Right. Okay? Right. And both of them were just fine. Right. You know? They yeah. weren't sinners. Well, and... And I guess this is this is the biggest thing is like you know my dad being a pastor, his whole life, and 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 me being in that of course and around ministry, I've been with him when people have showed up at our door, mm-hmm. right. just slobbering drunk, and this was the only place they knew to come, so they came to my dad's house. I've I've seen them, I've gone with my dad to pull people out of bars that have basically said, hey, if I go do this, please come get me, come get me. Or because they had nobody else to call. Like I've seen the ill effects. I've I've talked yeah. to I've talked to cops and asked them, you know, anytime you're getting called out to a domestic issue, whether it's abuse or kids or whatever, how often is it drugs and alcohol? And they're like, oh, pretty much one hundred percent of the time. It's one right. of those two things. And mostly alcohol. And so there's this part of me where I go, there's clearly something wrong. There's something wrong, particularly in the American psyche where alcohol is concerned. That's true. And I don't know if it's because so many people who came here came from Puritan uh, ideology. Uh, if it's because I mean, because it's such a Could melting be. pot of cultures, it's really hard to tell. So I don't know. I don't Americans know why. Americans take almost everything we do <coughs> to an extreme. Totally. At some point. And so I have this thing where I would agree. Yes, we can't make a bi- biblical argument that it shouldn't be consumed. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not sure that sometimes that's not the better thing. Sure. And, I, and I'm still in that phase of like, some weeks you'll catch me and I'll be like, oh no, I, I, I think more or less one way or the other. And, I, and I'm, I'm still working that out. Because yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, I've had my own history with it, like going to extremes sometimes. And there have been points in my life where I'm like, yeah, it's probably just best if I don't. Right. partake but i think like at this point in my life and moving forward i've seen the ill effects yeah of taking it too far 
And so it's, it's, I think there's a way to live it healthily, if that's a word. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, everyone, and I, I think the biggest problem is when we don't, when you don't talk about it, especially in Christ, Christianity, the moment, sometimes yeah. it's the moment you go to college or maybe for me, it was like after college, I just started hanging out with people that also drink and it wasn't like anything crazy. I wasn't going to like parties right. or anything. It was just like hanging out. Right. And then you're like, Oh wow. Like this is kind of crazy. Like, I don't know. And then you take it too far. Like, yeah. And, or some people just like kind of say like, screw what my parents said. Yeah. And Throw just it like all out the window. And then because they are like, they don't know what they're talking about or right. why put so, so much restrictions. If so many people right. look like they're having fun with it. Well, not only that, but the, the horrible thing that's held up to you doesn't happen. Right. It's like lightning doesn't strike. Right. You know, the building doesn't fall down on your head. Your, your life isn't ruined by this one thing. And so it is. It's, it's again, that idea of you're, you're, you're building something up. And, and this all comes down to when you're making something the linchpin of faith that has very little or nothing to actually do with the faith. But it also goes back to one of the reasons that people start deconstruction, and that is if you are not talking about some of this stuff and giving people real information, like really what the Bible yeah. says about this stuff and presenting like, okay, you, you, we don't talk about this a lot, but here's what the Bible has to say about yeah. it. And, and really presenting what the Bible has to say rather than just like, oh, we don't really talk about the, We don't really talk about sex. We don't really talk about alcohol. Just know that you don't do alcohol and that you save yourself for marriage. That, that should be good enough for you yeah. to know. And, and, and then just only preach that when in fact, there's a lot to know. Right. And, and we shouldn't, have to be figuring some of this stuff out on our own. We should be able to talk about it and have conversations about it. That's one thing that bothered me about Marty Sampson's thing when oh, he walked yeah. away and said that he no longer has faith or whatever. He's like, we never talk about the the hard things or the <laughs> hard questions. And, and we never talk about how God kills people in the Old Testament. We never talk about, you know, how how people are going to hell and why are you know four billion people going to hell and and I'm like we talk about it all the all time, the time. Yeah. like that's why I wanted to talk about like purity culture and alcohol because those are things that I feel like we could do a better job yeah at talking about openly and honestly and yeah. we still haven't gotten there we do talk all the time about the problems of having heaven and hell or right. a doomsday eschatology or, you know, creationism. We talk about right. this stuff and have healthy debate around it yeah. and tons and tons of books written on the subject. And right. people have been asking these questions for centuries. This is not a new thing. Yeah. Right. This is not a new thing. Everything and, that he cited, like, I'm like, people talk, do talk about this well, stuff and, all and the time. Here's, and here's my struggle. I, I look at somebody like Mark and that was, that was, I took that one hard. Because yeah. Marty Marty Sampson was a formative dude for me in a positive sense. I didn't have any negative connotations from that guy. I mean, he wrote so many great songs, worship songs. You know, I, I, he was one of those people that wasn't like I aspired to be him, but he was an inspiration for sure. And and seeing him as a young kid, you know, doing these things, writing these amazing intimate songs of worship that were going out all over the world. And I remembered speaking to somebody who had gone to Hills and he had just more and more conspicuously been missing from Hills stuff as time mm -hmm. was going on, you know, where before he'd have, you know, 
two thirds of the tracks on an on an album he had written on. Now it was just maybe half, you know, maybe only two songs, maybe only one song, and he wasn't on it, but he'd written, and then he just wasn't on anything. And I remember asking this person, like, where where is he? Like, what what happened to him? She said, Oh, you know, he's just, you know, he's married, and you know, he goes surfing a lot, and he, you know, basically just not really involved with church life. He's just doing other things. And I remember even thinking then, like, that's not good. Like yeah. something, so, and this was years ago. I mean, this was seven years ago or so. Right. And I thought to myself, that's not a good thing. And I think that's one of the things when I think deconstruction, I've had moments of deconstruction in my faith, but I don't run away from the church in the midst of those. I go to people right. that I trust and I go to people that I know have more experience than me, have more wisdom than me. And I will talk to them about these things, whether that's my dad or, or other people of influence that I've had in my life. And I feel like the thing I struggle with, like with a situation like with Marty, I look at that and I'm like, you walked away from the very thing that had been your home and that had been helping to inform you and helping to keep you. And you just kind of let that fade away and started going to talk to the people who also had the same questions, but no answers. Right. I've got no problem with the <laughs> questions. The problem is when all the questioners circle up, yes. ask their questions and act like they've discovered something monumental right. yeah. because they're asking the questions. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever like read or heard of Richard Rohr, who's kind of like the king of like the deconstruction. He's a Franciscan priest okay. in New Mexico, I believe. Mm. Um, he's super like chill. He's like 75. Like mm. He's lived a great life and he's written many books, but he describes deconstruction. I'm segueing. I'm I've got dovetailing you. Just off roll, that. Roll with it. Um, but he describes deconstruction as like three boxes, basically. Um, the first one is order. The second one is disorder. And the third one is reorder. And the three of us, we were born in the order box. Yeah. Yep. And we grew up within order and parameters and confines. And then the second box disorder is the, the sinful world. They're just born into complete disorder. Yeah. And what happens in deconstruction is a lot of us in the order box, we discover this disorder of like questioning. Mm -hmm. But the dangerous thing is when we just stay there. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people that are like, I don't know, that sounds a little harsh to say, but I feel like a lot of people that renounce their faith kind of went into the disorder box very intentionally. Yeah. Like, they dove they, into it. They really wanted to disprove there's, Christianity. There's answers over here. Yeah. I think they wanted. Uh, yeah. Know. But I, I don't think you're wrong because I don't think they want answers. They want to ask the questions and that's it. Right. And but they all, you said they all people, gang up. There's yeah. people telling me what I think already. Right. Yeah. Other people telling me right. what I think right. already. And so now I'm going to go let other people tell me what I think. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> ultimate goal is to get into the reorder. Right. Yeah. Box. Right. And to kind of take everything from those first two boxes and, and to kind of base it on the foundation of Christianity, but yeah. kind of reconstruct it. And, and this is the thing. I basically. think, I think we've, we've got to get away from the idea. A lot of what we're seeing in the deconstructionist movement has everything to do with being told that asking questions is somehow wrong or sinful. Yeah. And right. it's not. The que there's nothing wrong with the questions. That is, that is what the church is for. That is what the gathering and the fellowship of believers is for, is to be able to have hard discussions, to be able to say, I don't know, or I don't understand. That's okay. 
-hmm. We don't have to have all the answers. The problem is, is when you go to somebody and they're just giving you all these storybook Sunday school pat answers. And that's one of the things I love. Andy Stanley in, in fairly recent years did a series called Starting Point. And he basically addressed a lot of this stuff and said, you cannot give an adult person the answer because the Bible says so. That's not an adult answer. That's something you tell a child. And if they don't believe in the Bible, that's a non-answer. So we have yep. to go back to other things. And so he got into the history of, of the Bible, why it can be believed. He got into a lot of really great things, all coming back to the foundation of, of pointing to Jesus. That was the point. It was all about coming to Jesus, but giving you a starting point from not Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so, but no, here are the things that point to this and that culminate in this. There still has to be a leap of faith in the end. There still has to be a reality of you owning it for yourself. And that's why I think everybody's gone through some mo mode of this deconstruction. Right. You know, the faith that I have is not the same as the faith of my father. We share a common faith, but what mine looks like is different. When I was yeah. very young, my faith was almost exactly like my father's. Um, but I've had to own that myself. I've had to ask myself tough questions. I've had to have some tough experiences but I've also seen people so faithfully walk it out throughout my life that I can't deny that. If you, if you <coughs> want the answers from God about these things, right. you can get them. Yeah. And I, I, I really do appreciate people that challenge even the most foundational things about Christianity and saying, well, why do we believe this? Why do we believe that? Like, you should be saying those things, but remember to ask God and take him along with you on that journey. Yeah. Because if you do want the answers, God, why did you treat people that way in the Old Testament? Why did you wipe out entire villages? Yeah. And, you know, why Why would you... We talked, like, some of the questions we just talked about in the last couple of podcasts. You can find those answers. One of the things I've talked about before is... When I was like 17, 18, there was like three specific questions that I had that I'm like, I'm wondering if I actually believe this because my church taught me it or my family taught me it yeah. or if it's really in the Bible. So I started at the beginning of the New Testament and would just go yeah. to the end and write down everything that w was along those lines. And that's one of the ways that I found out that I wasn't as non-resistant as my church was. Like our, yeah. our my church was a peace church. Yeah. We were mm -hmm. non-resistant. And I I was writing all this stuff down and I'm like, some of this is on the side of non-resistance, some of it is not. And I got to the story of Cornelius and I'm like, oh, it's both and. Yeah. You literally could be non-resistant and be completely faithful to the Bible. Like if you live a life of non-resistance and peace and somebody strikes you on one cheek and you don't strike back, very biblical. Like you can live your whole life that way and call it biblical, but you can also be a centurion and still go to work on Monday yeah. after being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, and centurions were not, you know, clean. It, their job wasn't right. extremely right. clean. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I gained a new appreciation for going to the word. And that was just one of three different questions that I had, but going to the word and looking for the answers there. Yeah. And if the Bible is something that you're questioning, there's plenty of sources out there that you can go to within Christian apologetics and within, like you were talking about, people in Christianity like Andy Stanley and other people that have taken the time to study the same questions yeah. that you're talking about. These are questions that are ancient. They're yeah. very old. Yeah. And 
some of these questions are what drove people like Isaac Newton to discover major scientific discoveries is because they would question their environment, question the things around them and put it against the word and challenge it. And out of that, you start to discover some really cool things. Yeah. Like you should be doing that. Yeah. But don't, it's, it's a dangerous thing for the created to abandon the creator. Yeah. And say, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's not a leap that I think you should make lightly. Yeah. And, and I just think over like, oh, I have this creative question that the church doesn't seem to answer. I guess I don't need God. <laughs> right. And I think kind of where, like, I, I brought this topic up to you a few weeks ago, Nate. Like, and, it, and it is very... Yeah, the lead singer from Skillet, yeah. he's the one that kind of like brought it to the forefront of like we're elevating or all of these people that are, are renouncing their faith or walking away from the Christian faith are being overly vocal about it. Like yeah. almost to a point of like being obnoxious. Like saying, look, at, come follow me right. as I leave the church. I mean, yeah. we, and there's, and it goes back years, like Michael Gunger, yeah. who is, I, I still love his music very prolific songwriter and Rob Bell. Um, I don't know what, what he's doing now anymore. He kind of, he's got a pad podcast. He lost me with that weird book that he wrote with his wife. I, I kind of was, but I mean, even like <laughs> Michael Gunn, like, but then they're very like, then they have podcasts and yeah. then they write books and like, just want to make sure that everybody knows where I'm at on this yeah. type of thing. Follow me. And there's no stability to it. That's the thing They're What they're saying now is not necessarily going to match what they're going to be saying in five years. Now, right. that's part of what we're doing on this podcast, <laughs> but it's not in the same fashion. There's not an antagonistic, like an animosity to it. That's one of the things I struggle with. And I've been noticing, I, I really, I don't just, in my own experiences with seeing things on like social media and stuff of like, really, how much faith we put in man. Yeah. Yeah. Of like... Even like I just saw a new I don't remember you guys remember Todd Bentley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like new accusations of like sexual predator tendencies over the past, like with interns and stuff. And people just completely like they fall apart and yeah. like almost their lose their thing. faith over man. And I was thinking about like really prolific people like I don't know. I was doing some research on Bethel church and Bill Johnson and like, what if some, what if somebody like him did something terrible? Like what, 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 how would my faith be shook? Like, or somebody, I don't know. Bill's a great guy. There's a lot of people following him, Right. he's still a man. Right. But we lose sight of that so (laughs) easily. Um, Well, and there, and, and through the eighties and nineties, there were a lot of massive scandals that happened with, right. You know, with, that were you know whether it was Jim Baker or 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 Swaggart or you know some of these people who it's like you had these icons of Christianity at the time these big televangelists who just had massive implosions or explosions in some cases um, moral failures all these things and it was it was like people walked away from the faith based on that and again I think we need to come back to the simplicity of the fact yeah we can have questions we can have things we don't understand but our faith is based on. Jesus Christ being the only way to God the Father and believing that, being under his blood, everything else is detail. Now, some are more important details than others, I will grant you, but that is the definitive marker. Do we believe that Jesus is who he said he was? 
And can we walk that out with them? And for a lot of these people, I don't think it's their final answer. No. They're exploring, they're struggling, and and sometimes people struggle intensely. Yeah. Like, I've gone through moments of depression or being angry at God or that type of thing. You can can and will go through those type of times. He's big enough for that. He's not insecure. But I don't think they're at their final place where they're going to arrive. No. And they're still exploring different ideas. Which is why it's troubling to me for you to say yes. that you everybody should join you because you're not on solid ground. No. And you're out there rowing your boat in a new direction, think that you've found something new, but you haven't found something else to set your life down on. Right. And and you're asking people to join you. I find that's troubling. And it's like, very. okay, say you are a pastor like that and you start to question the very foundations that you're standing on. You should probably step down during that time and yeah. not be asking people to follow you. Yeah. Like, I, I don't mind somebody that says, okay, I'm not sure I can go to church right now because some of this is a, I can't figure all this out and whatever. If you're not asking anyone to follow you, I kind of get where you're coming yeah. from. Like, I would ask you to continue to seek these answers in community yeah. because I think it's important to bounce ideas off of people and seek yeah. those answers in community. But the whole, the whole idea that you're going to walk away onto something that you haven't found anything brand new out there that you're going to, that's solid that you're asking people to join you. Yeah. I, I think that's the one thing about the church, be it the Catholic church or any other denomination that's been around for quite a while. They've worked a lot of this stuff out. Yeah. Like there's reasons behind like what you do and why you do it. And if you choose a church, you're like, okay, this is the foundation that they're laying everything on. Yeah. I, I know where they're, where they're calling me to or what they're calling me from, you know, and this it's like, follow me over here. And it's like, what do I do now with all my questions? Yeah. And, and the thing I would say, you know, if, if you're, if you're listening to this and you know, some of these things have struck a chord or some of, some of these things are what you're dealing with, or there are other questions that you're dealing with. Question, yes. Ask them, but anchor yourself with people who are solid. Yeah. Don't wander off and just tell people to come follow you in your questions. Get up next to people who you've seen their life, you know them well, and I'm not talking about finding some TV preacher, some popular YouTube, whatever. Like somebody you know, family, friend, that you know their walk is solid, that will let you ask questions that's okay with saying to you that they don't know the answer to, and get up next to them be in relationship with them, be in community with them, because that's where you're going to find stability. That's it's where like, you're going to find it. It's like uh, I was reading something that Dave Ramsey was writing. It was something along the lines of, if you want to get rich, don't study poor people. Yeah. Study rich people. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay, so the, how did you get to be rich? And start asking those questions. If that's yeah. what you want, start asking people that are successful there. If you want answers that you can build your life on, Find somebody that built their life yep. on some really good, solid foundation yeah. and ask them how, ask you don't, them those You questions. don't ask somebody for marriage advice when they've been divorced five times. <laughs> yeah, they may you be just, great people. You just don't. That's not their That's, that's not, not their what thing. I would go to that's them for. That's not their thing. That's not their thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, go, you go to the people who have been married for 60 years and actually like each other still. That's right. the one you want to talk That was part about. of the problem with Josh Harris. He was still telling us all how to date and get married and he wasn't married yet. Hmm. <laughs> when he wrote "I kissed dating goodbye," my he wasn't only, married. My only my only dating rule for my children, like, and I now attend, he's now he's getting divorced. He is getting divorced. Yeah, but the it's a conscious uncoupling type thing where you're like oh, still yeah. love, kind of lo- like each other. Who you're knows? still friends. Everybody's still got to be friends. 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, in today's world, everybody's still. Nah, I don't know about that. Conscious uncoupling is that a term? <laughs> that was the thing that, that Gwyneth term? Paltrow that said Gwyneth when Paltrow her and, and Chris Martin, guy. oh, oh Chris Martin, yeah. divorced. She literally said that it was a conscious uncoupling. <laughs> it was the dumbest <laughs> term for a divorce I've ever. Well, heard. to be fair, it is Gwyneth Paltrow, and she is a moon child. Like she is just <laughs> moon child. She is Space somewhere out there. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I do think the danger in, 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 there is danger in asking the questions if you're just going to surround yourself with yeah. people that are all asking. I, I, well, I guess I hesitate because everyone should be asking questions. Every should, everyone should be constantly evolving. And, but you kind of go down a dark path if you're just like, do you believe in God? Not really. All right, let's talk about yeah, all the things, that, all yeah. the reasons we don't believe in God, yeah. and then see where we land. Yeah, you're obviously not going to land. Not going to land on, in a good place. Yeah, at the end of that conversation. Okay, we do believe in God. How <laughs> silly we were. <laughs> ah, look at us. I don't know. But it's, it's also one of the reasons why when I was super angry and I was a teenager and I'd start listening to angry music, I suddenly realized this is not a good thing for me. It might <laughs> right. feel cathartic because they're saying the things that are in my head, but. It's not helping me. I'm yeah. still angry when I'm done. Yeah. Like, it didn't get any of the anger out. Right. And it didn't take me long to figure that out. Like, okay, when you're angry, listening to angry music is not the only way to process. Yeah. I feel like you were a wiser teenager than I. <laughs> I don't know. You're like, oh, yes, this is not helping. I'd just be like, eh. I just pictured you doing that whole uh, hot rod thing and rage dancing in the woods. Yes. That was me. <laughs> oh, Did man. it help? <laughs> No, it was just one of the things that I discovered. If if I broke up with my girlfriend, I'm depressed, and I listen to depressing music, I'm going to be more depressed. <laughs> you know? That's true. But happy music is so annoying when that's going on. Oh, man. I don't know. Jimmy World's The Middle really helped mm, me out. That's a good song. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've during, liked them ever since. During a very ugly breakup, I lived on... Uh, is that a song? What was that? It just takes yeah, some time. What was the... Uh, yeah. Oh, what was that band? Oh, I've totally lost it. Oh, the Amberlynn, the one Amberlynn, Never Take Friendship Personal. Uh, that was like my rage, my rage album during a breakup period at one point. Hmm. Yeah. And it felt better. Because I'm like, you know, you know what it's like now. They're just writing music. <laughs> the, one of their know. best lines Amberlynn ever wrote was that boys speak in rhythm and girls in code. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that a lot. That's a good line. I like that. Hmm. Oh, man. That's true. That's going to get us into weird territory, though. <laughs> It's oh, a code man. that's indecipherable, but they all understand it. They know it. <laughs> we just don't know it. It's true. But yeah. All right. Well, all right. tell us your thoughts. Yeah. That was an interesting one. I feel like one. we've just scratched the surface of all these yeah. things. I feel like there needs to be a part two. Part okay. deuce. Because I'd love to talk about more of our, a little bit more of our own personal experiences with deconstruction and how right. what we did personally and how we ended up. But if all three of us told our stories, that would be more than an hour. So yeah, but it's okay. <laughs> be like a but four-parter. Yeah, we may have you back on though. I no. I think it would be good. I like I like I like Mike. I, I have enjoyed this. Mike's pretty okay. You're welcome to come back. I've Thanks decided for that's going to be me. Mike Nelson. I've decided that's going to be my <laughs> oh. new my new high compliment. You're pretty okay. Because I feel like it sets the very nice, but it sets the par. It sets the bar right. It doesn't put the pressure wife for me. It doesn't like put the pressure of expectation wife. on somebody. Like I don't, I don't expect too much from you. I don't. You're pretty okay. Yeah, I mean, to the listener, I've known Nate probably the longest Forever. in my entire life. Yeah. out of any person outside of my family. Yeah. So 
Yeah, pretty much anything that he says to me. Yeah, we've known each other. I for guess close I don't get offended. To what thirty years? Yeah, it's got to be close. It's nearly equal to however long you've been alive. <laughs> nearly oh, equal. Boy. I think I was three, yeah. and I'll be thirty-two this year. So yeah, so almost thirty. There you go. Coming up. We should You're have an anniversary. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, uh, thanks for listening in with us. Again, I think we may do a revisit of this somewhat with Mike later. But uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you in a week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.